You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we're still waiting for our check for our voluntary PR. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. I might be a little laggy today. I'm a little tired. The uh, wrestling season is in full swing now. That's why we've only got a couple episodes left this season before we take a break because I can't manage the holidays and all of this coaching all at the same time. You know, I have to travel to California to see my wife's family. And then every Saturday, there's going to be a tournament throughout December and January. It's just a lot to be able to keep up with all of the farce in the world and have the technology at my fingertips and develop outlines. So if you're wondering what I'm doing, it's not that I'm not being productive. It's just that I don't give a shit about you right now. No, I'm just kidding. I always care about witnessing the farce. It's just I only have so much time, energy, and capability to be able to create products. And I have to focus on the products that most matter to me. I, th- I, think, I think you all can understand that when we're talking about a hierarchy of values. All right, let's bring in my co-host. Joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, it's a great day. Uh, again, once again here in California, no surprise to most of you. We've had uh, some exciting farce. Uh, been following the Twitter drama um, and Elon's releasing of secrets, internal communications. I know we're going to talk about that later, but uh, uh, we have a more important thing to observe: Big Ten championships, baby. Michigan with the most wins in a rec- in, uh, in in their uh, in their history, thanks to uh, you know uh, conference playoff games. So, most wins in the season. Sorry. So, yeah. Uh, decisive victory. And uh, now only two more games to go. It's pretty exciting for you guys. I want to give you congratulations. And I, I hope that you win the national title. I always like Michigan. I appreciate them for giving us Tom Brady. And I also have to acknowledge, while we're doing football acknowledgments, uh, I did not watch most of the first half of the, the Clemson ACC championship game because hmm. I just didn't want to sit through uh, DJ Uyunglele playing anymore. I actually, that's when I went to see Violent Night, the movie I'll be reviewing this episode. And when I got out, my, my phone had a bunch of text messages on it from people watching the game. And I missed DJ Uyunglele being benched. So I got home and I watched the rest of the game. <laughs> I was say, you and didn't get the satisfaction of watching him get pulled. That's, I uh, didn't. I didn't. Man. And one of my friends was like, "Ah, we're gonna win this game. I'm going to bed because it's still late." And I was like, "No way! I earned. I earned sitting here and watching Cade Klubnik." And the crazy thing is, Cade Klubnik was named ACC Championship Game MVP. So you have to wow. wonder how the season would have gone if he had played wow. earlier. That's crazy. So, you guys, I hope you won it this season, but we're coming for you next season. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tough. Georgia's a great team, and um, I mean, we've already beat Ohio State, so uh, I don't see them coming out of, out of. I, I mean, who knows what they'll put the brackets for, but um, but I think Georgia's the team to beat. Um, it 
it's hard. It's hard as a Michigan fan because we've had so long with just like teams that haven't lived up to their potential. And so it's easy. I, like I got text messages during the game. There was a point in the, in the first half where we were behind. Um, and you know, I'm getting tons of text messages. Oh, we're going to lose this game. This game's already lost. This game's already lost. I was like, Hey guys, like this is a different team. Like uh, this, 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 this team peaks like in the third, the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter. And it's like very different than other Michigan teams we've had. So it's really hard to, it's hard to predict. And it's hard to, uh, hard to give to, to be anything more than tentative when you've been a Michigan fan for the last, uh, for the last 13 years, 14 years. Um, but I think Georgia, I think Georgia's going to be sweating this. Like if there is, is a team that could beat them, it's, it's us. Yeah. Those are probably the top two teams and probably, what we're going to see as the the final eventually. All right, let's move on to some non-sports talk because I know our audience doesn't primarily like sports talk. But That's eh, why we get it out of the way at the beginning, right? <laughs> right. And if they're not used to it by now and they don't see the value in it by now, I don't I don't know what to I don't know what to tell you. But but there's a lot of other farce to talk about. We got more Disney stuff to follow up on. We've got uh some more Biden uh, administration craziness. And as you said, we've got the whole uh, Twitter free speech issue. Let's get into it in Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including affirmations and also nominations for the Peak Farce Awards this year. That show's coming up in a couple weeks here. That means we need your input. If you go to themidside.com and find our discord link you can vote in the discord we have a specified channel for it or you can also find the nomination link in the general discord that is the best way to support us this time of year that's what we want for christmas for christmas we want your nominations and what governor DeSantis wants for christmas i think is just disney ceos to stop talking about him and stop talking about the bills he passed. Because, William, did you see what happened with DeSantis and Iger this week? A little bit. I mean, I saw that, I saw, I saw that people are, are kind of, there's so much going on here. And I, I don't know how to, how to interpret it all. And I, I got to get your in, inside perspective because from the outside, it looks like they're, at, at, they're trying to like save face against each other in some ways. And I'm, I'm not sure like why, like what's, what's the motivation here, especially from Iger as picking up the CEO. So the thing that's going on here is a large thing that they're trying to say why, let me rephrase that a large reason being given for why Chapek was asked to step down, quote unquote, was his the way he handled the quote unquote don't say gay bill. And now Iger is trying to walk that back because DeSantis did something interesting with the whole Reedy Creek Improvement District, which we talked about previously. And that makes this politically challenging because of how difficult it is. 
but we know the way DeSantis is, and he is not accepting any of this political grandstanding by Iger, because as you said, he's Iger's trying to play nice here, right? He's trying to act like, yeah. oh, I don't have a far-left agenda. And that's the thing that blows my mind out of all of it, William. You want to talk about insider baseball, knowing what's going on. I said this before. I probably said this last week. Iger went to the same college I did. He went to Ithaca College. Now, obviously, he's older than me. We weren't there at the same time. But Ithaca is one of the three most leftist towns in America. Berkeley, Boulder, and Ithaca are the three most leftist towns in America. Ithaca College is a place where social justice and social justice warriors are bred. So this idea that Chapek was the one pushing Disney's resistance to the Don't Say Gay Bill is ridiculous. Right. And now Iger is trying to come in and blame it on him. It was the his, the people he put in place that Iger put in place were mad at Chapek because Chapek was trying to sidestep the issue. He was trying to let it go. He was trying to not get involved with the bill. But they forced him to because he was put into a position of, and this is the... The difficult position I think any corporate CEO has, William, nowadays, do you pander to the social justice people or do you pander to the majority of people? Now, in a pure free market, the theory is you're going to pander to the majority of people or in an objectivist free market, you're going to pander to the people with the correct set of values and hope the market aligns with that. Notice the distinguishment I made there, objectivist. Think about what I just said. But the problem with Disney is, as I said, they've been so infiltrated by social justice because Iger was in charge that the company wasn't going to stand for Chapek not doing anything. Or I will say certain segments within the company weren't going to stand for Chapek not doing anything. Uh, I mean, we saw this after the pandemic where people in Florida were trying to Cast members in Florida, I don't know if you know this, William, were trying to organize a protest to keep the parks closed longer because they were saying Disney and Chapek don't care about their employees. They only care about money because they were saying they were endangering them. And that's so, I mean, how anti-Floridian is that, that people here were going to be doing that? And that's where DeSantis gets involved, is DeSantis is trying to push an agenda that is aligned with Floridians' values. And that's what happened is we've got a drop here to play where Iger came out and tried to play nice, like you said, like you asked me to explain. And then this is uh, this is the way DeSantis sort of, I would say, he clapped back at it, as they say nowadays, right? This was his mic drop about Iger claiming that Disney, Iger claimed that Disney was dragged into it. That Dizzy was dragged into the don't say gay bill issue where, as we've seen, William, and as I just said, they weren't dragged into it. Their their far left social justice employees pressured Chapek into it. So this was. uh, You're about to play DeSantis's reply to Iger's claim, the reply he gave on the Tucker Carlson show. We didn't drag them in, Tucker. They went in on their own. And not only opposed the bill, they threatened to get it repealed. These are parents' rights, important policies in our state that are very popular. And so they brought this on themselves. All we did was stand up for what's right. And, yes, they're a big, powerful company. But you know what? We stand up for our folks. And I don't care what a Burbank-based California company says about our laws. 
William, what's your, I want to hear your, before I continue to talk here, what's your initial reaction to hearing that? I, I think that is a very self-confident uh, way of reframing the debate, saying like, we don't care about what a California co company thinks about our Florida laws. I think that's, imagine if uh, Georgia or whoever it was said that when the, uh, when they were pulling out of Atlanta, it was Atlanta, wasn't it, for the uh, uh, MLB All-Star game, right? Yes. Um, it, it's 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 framing it like, hey, I'm doing what the voters want, and like we can talk about whether that's right or wrong, but to say we're going to repeal, we, a California corporation, are going to repeal this law in Florida because we don't like it, go fuck yourself. I think it's good. It's, it's really interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, the confidence you said. Right. It's I think it's amazing the way he framed it. Right. It, it's very explicit. And only someone who is very sure of himself is going to frame it in a way like that. And I, I think of him as a future president. I think of him saying, you know, we in America don't care what, you know, China says about what we do here in America. Imagine if somebody actually said that as a president. Right. How, how powerful that would be. So I look at it that way. But I also look at it as the way of how America is nowadays. And, you know, I've heard Bill Burr make jokes about this. We've had discussions about it. It's the idea that something happens in Alabama and people in New York care about it. Where we're supposed to be in a federalist system where we have all these different cultures. And Disney, in that sense, is a guest in Florida. They're not based in Florida. They're based as... DeSantis said in, in Burbank. And what's interesting is it's very obvious if you've been to both parks. William, you've been to both parks, correct? Yep, multiple times. So since you've been multiple times, don't you see the difference in the culture between the Florida park and the California park? Absolutely. I've never failed to be greeted by multiple cast members, especially if it's uh, someone in my party is wearing the, the button, you know? I mean, do yeah. they even still do the button in, in, in California? Let's be honest for first time park visitors. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't speak to that. What I can yeah. speak to is there's much more of a sense of freedom and individualism in the parks in Florida. It's much more of a celebration of, you know, you finding your happiness. Whereas California is kind of just like, oh, here's magic. Here's escapism. So it, there's a much different vibe to both parks. And it's based upon what area it's in. And I think that what DeSantis is trying to remind them of is that, yeah, you're a guest in Florida. You, you are not in Florida. You are defining Florida. And with that comes the whole issue we talked about previously, where now Disney is trying to claim PR wise, right? The battle has gone beyond these two quips from the CEO and the governor. Disney is trying to claim that the Reedy Creek improvement district which, you know, gets them certain tax benefits and, you know, gets them to manage their own land, that that is going to be kept. Whereas DeSantis says they're not U-turning on that, that Disney's special privileges are going to be removed. But this is where things get complicated, William. For me, the special privileges for Disney... Shouldn't those, in a free market, shouldn't those be the norm? Although, let me ask you, since this is a California company coming into Florida, should that be different? 
I don't, I don't know. This is very complicated because we have the idea of a free market and the government's getting involved here. But the special privileges that already exist seem to be more in line with the free market. Do you get the point I'm making? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm not sure I'd have to like look through it. I mean, you know, I, I've consistently advocate the principle here where we're trying to advocate for is the separation of economics and state. All that being said, there is some aspect of since we live in and even in Florida as a mixed economy, um, things like, you know, we talked about like it's their own ambulance service and their own fire service and things like that. There, There is this aspect of that they're doing things, uh, bec- they're getting efficiencies of scale because of how large the area is of providing some of their own services that normally the government would provide. So uh, at least in, in our current culture. So it is complicated. I don't know that I have the right answer. I don't like, I don't like using tax law as a weapon, right? That, that I don't like. Now, yes, it's different. Removing privileges is different than granting them. Yes. There's a, there's a moral distinction there, but it's icky to me either way. And I think I said that at the beginning when we first started discussing this, I was like, this is, this is, I'm, I'm, I like the, I take, I'm taking my ball and going home aspect like that part. I like, but I don't like this aspect of we're using the tax law as a bludgeon, as a carrot or a stick, just on principle. I want a separation of economics and state. Right. And, and DeSantis made this same mistake, I would say, or I would say made this statement that I I disagree with and that I think is morally incorrect because I don't think he would think it's a mistake. Uh, he made it in this in the same discussion with Tucker Carlson, where Tucker Carlson asked him about Apple. And actually, we'll see this rhetoric in our final story, our final farce today in a little bit when we talk about Elon and Twitter. But Tucker asked him about companies like Apple getting involved with things like Don't Say Gay. And DeSantis talked about the Sherman Antitrust Act. He didn't say it explicitly, but he said, you know, Apple should be considered for anti the way we deal with people like Apple or companies like Apple is they should be considered for antitrust cases. And that in itself, a lot of people don't realize historically the Sherman antitrust bill is the, one of the first things that got government involved with economics. And there again is, you know, we hear that Republicans are supposed to be for small government, but that's an example of a Republican governor a high-powered Republican politician wanting to use government to get involved with the economy. That certainly does not seem like a small government move, does it? Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not a small government move. And you know, I, I often, unwinding, unringing that bell is going to be so hard culturally, but I think it's worth always pointing out, always thinking about it in those terms, like just just thinking about that principle of complete separation of basically government from contracts, meaning there should be no, government should have no preference on contract, like right. the economic arrangements between, uh, between individuals or companies and individuals. And, right. It's, um, it's just tough because this is where a lot of William, I think the far left comes in as far as saying, Oh, you know, corporations are as bad as the government and they control mm-hmm. us as much as the government because they're, these are two separate high-powered entities trying to shape culture. And what's happening between Disney and DeSantis is when there are representatives from the two groups trying to greatly shape the culture. I mean, parents' rights in education and Disney being known for its children's movies, those are two people trying to, two groups trying to shape 
children's minds. And we see where the conflict comes from and how bad it can get. And that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. But then, of course, we always have to ask ourselves, who's actually working for all these organizations? And I'm not talking about Florida. I'm not talking about Disney specifically, although some people would say this about Disney. And, of course, uh, there was another story I didn't bring up this week. Did you see, or I didn't add in the outline this week, that could be considered related here? William, did you see all the stuff about, like, the uh, the fashion company with the, the pedophilia conspiracy? <clears throat> not really a conspiracy, but yes, with all the pedophilia imagery inside of it. Right. But I mean, it's not a conspiracy. Saying... It actually happened. <laughs> and, and, like, right, right, it's right. Not... <laughs> and no one conspired to do it. They just did it. Right. But the conspiracy is, like, they're actually trying to push pedophilia on people right yeah i guess that's the conspiracy aren't we supposed to be accepting of maps uh, isn't that uh is that a conspiracy right well, we don't know the motive where... we don't know the motive of the photographer i guess is, is so that's what makes the conspiracy i guess right and that's the uh the thing that's connected to the story i'm about to talk about here right i'm not going to add the part in first that's related I want to talk about the first thing, which I think is farcical enough on its own. So a Biden official is in trouble with the law for stealing somebody's suitcase at the airport. Yeah. And this is something I talk about all the time, William, right? Where is the respect for personal property? Where is the respect for personal space anymore? One of the things that America is built on is that we're all individuals and we know that when we go in public, we have to respect each other. That doesn't exist anymore. You know, Adam Carolla points it out all the time. Um, One of the things he says is, you know, back in the day when we were all growing up, we thought, man, someday when there's cameras everywhere, like none of this crime will happen anymore. Right. And this simple, simple theft, simple petty theft. Well, it's actually probably, uh, this is probably grand larceny because this is one of those designer roller bags, right? They said, said the estimated cost was like $2,400 or something for the suitcase. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, Justin, I have well, never, on, before I've never continue, owned a suitcase need- more than $100 from Costco. <laughs> and I travel yes. quite frequently. <laughs> right. That's one thing. Um, we, I think I need to give the details first. What do you think? Well, I well, hold on. We're already we're, we're, let's let's do them in uh, in reverse uh, reverse farcical order. So the first was the suitcase they stole was twenty three hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Well, that, I that's think, what I was gonna say. <laughs> the the second thing is, uh, um, they didn't travel with a suitcase that day. I think that's probably the second second layer up. I don't know. What, what do you think is the next layer up of farce? I was just gonna give the details of what happened that they were at an airport and the luggage was stolen. <laughs> yeah yeah they stole someone else's bag from the well the, the thing is the carousel that, yeah from the carousel when they didn't check any bags on that flight right so it's like premeditated or something no no i'm sure the person saw the nice twenty four hundred dollar bag and thought I'd, I'd, i'll have that well that's what i mean about the respecting personal space like how easy could it be to steal do you get what I'm saying? I know. Like, we're, we all stand there in the airport and we're, we could all take other people's bags. It would be easy. Nobody yeah. would stop us. Justin, wouldn't you be horrified if you like you took a bag that looks like your bag and then when you got home realized like, you know, it's got like, you know, like some, uh, you know, some like ladies like clothing in it. And you're like, oh, crap, this is the wrong bag. <laughs> like, wouldn't that be horrifying? 
Yeah, I'd be really angry because I'd be like, fuck, now i got to drive back to the airport because I would not want to have that bag longer than I had to have. Exactly. And that's the that's the next layer up. Yeah. Right. The police contacted this person and the person said, if I had taken the wrong bag, I am happy to return it. But I don't have any clothes for another individual. That was my clothes when I opened the bag. And then later. Well, hold on, hold on. Let's 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 pause and observe the farce before we move. Those were my clothes when I opened the bag. Could be tautologically true. Finders keepers, right? Like maybe that's what they thought. Maybe that's that, possession is nine thinking. tenths of the yeah, law. There you go. As soon as I opened that bag, those clothes were mine. All right, you're being generous here. <laughs> you're being generous because the court filings stated defendant said when they opened the bag at the hotel, they realized it was not theirs. Oops. Defendant got nervous. People would think they stole the bag and did not know what to do. Defendant stated they left the clothes from the bag inside the drawers in the hotel room. So as you said, William, this person was not interested in the clothes. The person wanted the, what, $2,400 bag, as you said? Yeah. This was totally just like a crime of opportunity, right? That you can't even bring expensive things in public anymore because other people are going to take it. But how about this, like initially just trying to lie oh i don't have it's my bag it's my clothes in it and then later saying oh i got nervous so i left the clothes in the hotel and i took the bag like this is just it's, it's yeah, gotta let's think be some about, sort of hold on let's think about that issue. i got nervous that i might have committed theft so i kept the more expensive item and got rid of the least expensive items right i got i got rid of the thing that is a hundred percent like traceable right the the very expensive suitcase and kept and, and got rid of all the things that you know may be much less traceable than individual clothing all right right well and that's what i was saying about getting nervous right i would be nervous that i committed theft too which is why i would be like fuck i gotta drive back to the airport now right because i don't want to drive back to the airport but what's more important staying there and not wasting my time or Going back to the airport and possibly not being arrested. So isn't yeah. it logical that if you're nervous, you drive back to the airport yeah. to show by your actions that you don't want the fucking bag? Yeah. This is just absolutely insane. Well, we've got to add someone... another. We got to add the next layer of farce, which is right. I'm going to layer. I'm going to oh, okay, layer. Hold ahead. on. So uh, but excited. I want to say first, it's absolutely insane. And it's farcical because. Just no concern for how any of this affects other people or being in any sort of social relationship. It's just completely materialistic and saying whatever you need to say because other people aren't seen as real. And that to me is a psychological issue, which I don't know, William, how I don't connect this to the other layer. Go ahead. Yeah, so the next layer up is uh so on the on the surveillance picture when 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 they found uh, this uh this uh, person stealing the bag, they removed the name tag. So the, so so when you talk about lying here, that's why I wanted to add the, on this extra layer of farce. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like that's what, they, they what saw the name too. tag. They yeah. saw the name tag. Well, that's exactly what theirs. I was just saying. <laughs> and they knew they didn't check a bag too. So Right. <laughs> what are you doing at marriage claim? What are you doing? Right. Justin, do you ever go to baggage claim unless you have to? If you if you just if just you just had your rolly bag, you know, and you're traveling somewhere, would you just hang out in the carousel? No, I or even look, go dude, that I way. The crowd there. is that way, dude. I sit in my closet for hours trying to pack as 
much clothes into a small carry-on so I don't have to go to baggage claim. And then my wife goes, I'm checking a bag. And I go, fuck, why'd you let me waste two hours? Like, And why are we going to bed? Like, no, I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. This is exactly adding to what I was saying is removing somebody else's name tag. It's completely acting like the other person is not real, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it makes me go to the final layer, William, which is what I thought you were going to say. Oh, Do you want to no, say no. what the final layer no, is? No, here? I'll leave it for you. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. The final layer is that this person identifies as non-binary, and when you look at pictures of him, he dresses as a woman, does he not? I would say for the most part, yes. Bald head, completely bald head, like bicked bald, and dressing like a woman. But a beard and, and a mustache. But with a beard and a mustache. Yeah. So this is what I ask you, William. When we see all the things, right? So we removed the non-binary. And if this yeah. behavior was done by anybody, I would say there's narcissism issues here. There's psychological issues here. I right? would, I would refer them. this person. <laughs> right. Like, if, th- if this kind of lying is capable, this person is capable of this kind of lying... Uh, and self-delusion, like they shouldn't be in charge of anything in the government. Right. Well, they shouldn't be in charge of anything anywhere, really. I mean, how do you hire someone like this at any company? But my point being, we are not making any of these declarations based on the fact that this person is non-binary. You know, I would simply say this person should be referred to a psychologist. But now that we know this person is non-binary... It fits. How do I not think exactly? Yeah, How fits. do I not say that there is something about being non-binary that is inherently deceptive, self-deceptive? Yeah. It's cluster B personality disorder, is what it is. It's narcissism. Right. It's uh, it's it's uh, borderline and histrionic. It's it is exactly that. Now that doesn't mean all non-binary people are uh are cluster B, but. We know, like, the data shows that it's, uh, that there is a majority uh, of folks who identify as non-binary, identify as trans, fall on the cluster B, uh, personality disorder. So, but when you see it to this degree, you know it must be true, right? Like, this fits in with the pattern, and that's unfortunate, because I don't want, like, the problem, because of forced teaming, we're putting all these narcissists in front and center. They're the ones, like, look at one of the pictures is uh, they, them, in front of the Trevor Project, giving a talk at the Trevor Project. It's a, it's a anti-suicide for LGBT folks. Why do these people, like, because they're narcissists, they get sucked into, they suck up all the attention, they get put out in front, they try to represent the so-called community that I they, people try to force me into, and it 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 just is, it's angering. Right? Like, why are these people with zero character get all the attention? Why? Well, because that's what they're professionals at. Ah, it, you also have to remember he, right, he works for the government. Yeah. That's what these type of people do. And that's the unfortunate thing, right? I mean, I think I've said this before. If I haven't, I'm going to make it explicit now, right? Statistically, William, it makes sense that there would be a certain percentage of people. And it would be a low percentage of people that do have things like gender dysphoria that are homosexual, that are transgender, right? All of these things make sense from a statistical standpoint. Do you understand my logic? Yeah. But what happens is when you make it a fashionable issue, when you make it a issue that 
is something for people to get attention for, well, the people who exist, who bend their personalities to get attention, will then start behaving in ways as if they are this way within that statistical small group when they are not. And the statistical small group can be anything. If suddenly it was people who were born, you know, without feeling in their feet, all of these people would start saying, oh, I never had feeling in my feet. It just was never acknowledged before. And I always felt shame in saying it. But now, oh, you know, oh, we need to pay attention to the fact that I have no feeling in my feet. And this, I think, also goes with William. I do think there there has been a lot of trauma for a lot of people that has had them become cluster B or had a hand in them becoming cluster B, which then contributes to the amount we have of this right now. So it's all incredibly complicated, but it's I, th- I think this story demonstrates the observations we've been making about how people are in public and how the lack of respect for personal space and personal possessions doesn't exist anymore because you have the people who go out and act in a narcissistic manner. And then if you're a rational person, you have only sort of three responses. One, just don't go outside anymore, which then seeds everything to the narcissistic people. Two, if you do go outside, just be apathetic and avoid all those people, just be ambivalent and avoid all these people. Or three, well, I guess there's four, right? You can also get confrontational fight with that, but I don't consider that a real rational response because it's only going to cause problems. Or three, the last rational response is just sort of act implicitly aggressive and narcissistic like they do. Oh, if they're just going to walk around and act like they own all the space, well, you're going to do that too. Oh, if not, they're going to cut... I think it's a false dichotomy, bro. I think what you do is you set good boundaries. And now, unfortunately, you this this one has got to be set by the law. This person should go to jail. This but is that's theft, what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking. You set but, good but boundaries. It, I agree. Individually, you set good boundaries. But I'm yeah. talking about explicitly things like driving and things yeah. in like a public place like this. Like, yeah, you're right. Driving wise, it's up to the the law enforcement to enforce it. But what do you do, William, when there are so many people like this out there that Everyone on the road is doing it. Yeah. Do you drive super cautiously and add an extra 15 minutes to every trip you take? Or do you go as to the same way they are and drive super aggressively? And then the problem is compounded. Well, I, instead of letting Jesus take the wheel, I, like, I let Elon take the wheel and just let my Model 3 drive me. So that's what I do. I feel like you let just it deal with the narcissism. every possible narcissism. Christian listening to this. <laughs> all, all three of them? What, what, what yeah. do we have? More Canadians or Christian listeners? False dichotomy, bro? I don't know. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right. We want to move on to the next amount of farce. Oh, baby. Okay. In case we had enough gender farce here, how about some race farce? So uh, LeBron James this week turned a press conference into a, I mean, I want to say press conference, but like, here's the problem. After games, Athletes are made available to the media because the media is lazy and they need quotes to back up whatever narrative they're trying to push for the game. So rather than develop relationships with players, and I guess it's tough because they're celebrities and it should be nice to reporters here, but they're supposed to answer questions for reporters about the game. But LeBron James decided to make a statement. 
And he made a statement because he was mad that they weren't asking him the correct questions. Now, what correct questions did he want to be asked about? LeBron James, a basketball player, wanted to be asked about a photo of Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, a football team. Now, William, this photo is from 65 years ago. Now, before we go into the photo, I want to read LeBron James's quotes. He said, I got one question for you guys before you guys leave. I was thinking when I was on my way over here, I was wondering why I haven't gotten a question from you guys about the Jerry Jones photo. But when the Kyrie Irving thing was going on, you guys were quick to ask us questions about that. Kyrie Irving is, of course, LeBron James's former teammate, who he knows personally, who is also a star in the NBA and has gotten suspended multiple times for his political statements and always says uh, controversial things. When I watch Kyrie talking, he says, I know who I am, but I want to keep the same energy when we're talking about my people and the things that we've been through. And that Jerry Jones photo is one of those moments that our people, black people, have been through in America. And I feel like as a black man, as a black athlete, as someone with power and a platform, when we do something wrong or something that people don't agree with, it's on every single tabloid, every single news coverage. It's on the bottom ticker. It's asked about every single day. But it seems like to me that the whole Jerry Jones situation photo, and I know it's years and years ago, and we all make mistakes, I get it, but it seems like it's just been buried under like, oh, it's happened. Oh, we can just move on. And I, just, and I was just kind of disappointed that I haven't received that question from you guys. William, am I wrong that this is the same narcissism that we were just talking about last story? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the press... I'm yeah, also I am upset wrong that the, no, I'm not No, no, wrong. you're right. Yeah, this is the same. Yes, this is the same narcissism. I think the press should have asked me as well about the Jerry Jones photo. Um, it should have asked me about uh, about what to have for breakfast uh, that morning. Um, I'm, I'm very disappointed that they didn't ask me that. Uh, they should have asked me about, uh, about the coverage of the uh, Biden uh, non-binary uh, nuclear waste uh, secretary who uh, stole bags. They should have asked me about that. Um, yeah, there is no, there's no limit to the amount that they should have asked me about. Well, and isn't that the purpose of social media as well? Especially when you're someone who's famous, can't you post things on social media and then they (laughs) will become news stories? Yeah, that's true. Like, like, can't you just hold this here? Uh, so my question, Justin, uh, this might be a spoiler, but did they ask him after he said this press conference? Did anyone ask him? I have no idea. It wasn't in the article. (laughs) I feel like this was kind of. His statement here about, like, he's making this statement he wanted to make, right? Yeah. When he says, like, I, you know, our people, black people have been through in America, and I feel like as a our black people. man, as a black athlete, as someone with power and a platform, when we do something wrong or something that people don't agree with, it's on every single tabloid, every single news coverage, it's on the bottom ticker. So he's trying to make a point about white privilege and racism, right? Yeah. But he is not being criticized whenever he does something wrong because he's black, He's being criticized whenever he does something wrong, or I don't even want to say wrong, does something that people might disagree with. Because, you know, I don't really like LeBron as a player, but I don't think he's ever really done anything morally poor, right? Like, try and test right now. Try and name me one thing LeBron did that was morally poor, and there's one correct answer. Wait, what? There's one correct answer. I can think of one thing. I'm going to reframe it. Okay. I can think of one thing LeBron did that's morally incorrect. Can you name it? 
one thing that he did that's morally incorrect? No. What is it? He made Space Jam 2. <laughs> All, right. All right. And I'm being facetious, right? I'm being facetious. But that's my point. Like, I think LeBron is, you know, as much as I think he's a head case, right? And I don't really like him on the, on the, uh, on the basketball court. I, I do think he's a pretty stand-up guy, right? So if you do something c- slightly controversial, it's because of your prominence in the public eye. The fact that this is even being discussed at all and the fact that there was a news story about Jerry Jones is proof that you're wrong, LeBron. And it's it's proof that he's pushing an agenda that's not there. I mean, the Jerry Jones photo, let's get into it. So the Washington Post published a, a story about Jerry Jones. And there's a, a photo from Arkansas when he was in high school. And in the photograph taken at the scene, I'm quoting from the article here, Jones could be seen standing a few yards from where six black students were being jostled and repelled with snarling racial slurs by ringleaders of a mob. It was on September 9th, 1957, and it was down the street from, right, not many miles away from Little Rock, where if we remember the famous Little Rock Six were being integrated. This is at the point where public schools were being integrated. And here's the thing. There's a quote from his coach, right? So Jerry Jones was playing high school football at this point, And his coach had told them that he didn't want to see any of you not heads near the front of that school tomorrow. So Jerry Jones as a stupid kid. What did he do? Got caught being photographed outside the school. Now he was not involved And he said he wasn't involved. But this is the same thing I tell kids at my school, William. When there's a fight, you don't need to stop and watch it. Just keep walking. But what do these kids do whenever there's a fight, William? They gawk. Right, they gawk. So really, we have a story. Here's two things. One, this is only being pushed because it's Jerry Jones, and he's famous, and he's rich. But two, this is just a story of... A 15-year-old kid, really 14, it says he was one month from turning 15, a 14-year-old kid put, uh, just paying attention to craziness that's going on around him. I mean, arguably, you could say he's witnessing the farce. I don't think this is a good way to witness the farce, right? So this is a non-story. And then the whole thing is, like, what is a reporter's job, William? Is it to report history or news? Because I thought the word new was in the word news. Yeah, I guess it's it's only news because we want it to be news. News is the news stands for is 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 short for narrative. Uh, I don't know how how we'll make that work, but I'm sure the letters we can make it into something. Um, yeah, and this is this is such a weird story. It's like whenever there's the unearthed uh, uh, footage of things that were like broadcast on live TV. Like, wasn't this in the newspapers and stuff? Like that's where they got this picture from, right? Right. And this is unearthed. This is this is this is kind of crazy. What are what are like, what, it's what gotta be an algorithm? What conclusion? Right? Yeah, yeah. What conclusion are we supposed to draw by revisiting these old things? Like, was there some like I like I, I you, think you, they're you, trying you, to insinuate he's racist because they were trying to say he's he runs an NFL team, but he's never helped black people. And they're trying to say, look at him here in the mob that wasn't letting the schools get integrated. It's trying to build an argument to say he's always been racist. Interesting. Okay. I, I, I mean, it's, I guess it is a trying to do a guilt by association sort of thing, right? But right. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
I think that besides the narcissism, this whole like guilt by association thing, I'm just kind of done with. I, like, I don't yeah. know why people keep falling victim to this and why we think mobs are cool in one way. And then when, then when you're a member of a mob in another way, you're immediately guilt by association. You must be there. Like, you know, everyone in the January 6th were trying to overthrow the government, for example. Right. Um, but we know most of them were the FBI agents who were trying to do that. But that's another story. I mean, this is the same thing, William, as the lip syncing uh, yeah, basketball yeah. player don't, or don't football lips, player. Yeah. Don't lip sync. Uh, don't lip sync the N-word. We'll, we'll don't happen it. to be in the same place where stuff might happen or you could be associated with things. Right. Don't lip sync. If you're just even the appearance, there's a problem. But I mean, what makes this extra farcical is two things. One. His coach told him not to be there, yet he still went there. Like, just listen to your coach. Does somebody in 19, what was the year, 1957 knew enough not to be around? Why do you still get to tell kids that nowadays? And then the second thing is, why does LeBron care? You're a basketball player. Why do you care about Jerry Jones? You shouldn't. But of course, he would complain and say, this is me telling him to shut up and dribble, right? Yeah, learn uh, to I'm, code. I'm not saying Le- I'm not learn saying, to code, LeBron. Right, I'm not saying to shut up and dribble, LeBron. I'm saying this is what social media is for. Use it. You're famous. Everyone will pay attention to your social media. You don't need to like yell at reporters or ask reporters or guilt reporters. Of course, maybe you need to, and that's what the last story is about here, right, uh, William? Uh. I'm going to say what I think is going on, and then you can say a whole bunch of stuff, because I think you're probably more plugged into it than I am. So from my perspective as a layman, Elon Musk bought Twitter, and then he started revealing things about what was going on behind closed door at Twitter that nobody wanted to know and was denying. This, of course, is linking back to um, the Hunter Biden laptop story. If you remember that Donald Trump was doing pretty well in the polls for the last election and he released an October surprise, which was the Hunter Biden laptop, which showed a connection between Hunter Biden and a lot of immoral activities up to and including money being received from Ukraine. Right. Which I mean, hey, now there's a whole Ukraine foreign policy thing going on. Wow. But. Even though the New York Post posted that story, Twitter immediately tried to ban it. And now the New York Post is following up with, and Elon is following up up with commentary about what actually happened. Here's a quote from a story. The chaos and confusion behind closed doors at Twitter in the immediate aftermath of the October 2020 Hunter Biden expose show that a small group of top-level executives decided to label the Post story as hacked material without any evidence, behind the back of then-CEO and founder Jack Dorsey. I have questions about that, uh, but what is um, interesting here, the last thing I want to say is that Elon tweeted, this is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. And then he later tweeted about how the difference is government involvement, that if a private organization wants to ban things, that it doesn't matter. But when government is involved in the process, then that creates a problem. 
Uh, there, I, there's a lot to say about all of this, but first, William, I want to make sure I got everything or if there's anything important that I didn't bring up. I think that's most of it. Uh, just to give a little bit more context, what what part of what was uh, talked about here, and this isn't just to pick on um, you know Democrats or Republicans, but the amount of communication between the campaigns and the government um, and uh, on this issue. Um, one thing to be super clear, they had said that the FBI told us that this was hacked, if you remember, or insinuated that pretty strongly. There's no evidence that that actually was communicated. The only communication they were able to find was like back at the beginning of the year, um, FBI cautioning the tech companies that there are a lot of propaganda um, being being done, propaganda efforts being done, like this general sort of an Intel report. That's the only thing they could find. So that's one important point. The other import, unport, important point is this was unprecedented in the following way. Not only did they use the hacked materials policy to kind of block this they use tools that they normally use to block child pornography sharing in other words this link was not only restricted from like showing up in like trending or uh it was it was if you posted this link your account got banned if you dm'd it in twitter to someone else your account got banned it was the equivalent of posting child pornographic pictures they were using the, the the these unprecedented tools to do political uh political um I don't want to call it censor, censorship, but uh, political shaping, right, of, of, of what, what's allowed on the platform. So that's why this is important, I think. It, it's, it's, it's good. In a way, I think it's good that Elon's doing it because it's, it's bringing back some transparency to it. So I don't know. Well, what questions do you have, Justin? I think there's – because I have been following it um, and, and kind of uh, trying to dig in as much as I can on it because it's, it's interesting to me. We we talk about all the time. We don't like. We, I know you and I are both uncomfortable when people call it censorship. But this is the closest we've seen to it actually being censorship. Justin, this is right. this is the government. Now, now, yes, they're the campaign in some instances, but this is government officials asking that things be censored and threatening implicitly that things will be done if they aren't right. Right. So. Uh- even with the campaign, that applies. And that's my second yeah. question. But I want to handle the first question first because it's an issue of accountability and I don't want to sweep it under the rug and I don't think it's uh, as complicated and lengthy of a discussion. And I, I'm keying in on the phrase from the New York Post here, behind the back of then-CEO and founder Jack Dorsey. I don't like how that statement sort of... Um, Removes Dorsey from accountability. Yeah, that's it. That wasn't the word I was looking for. I was like expunges his accountability or something. But my brain was saying exposes. No, it removes accountability from him. And I have to ask the Adam Carolla question, stupid or liar? This makes it seem like he's an idiot and doesn't seem what's going on at his company. Or he's a liar and he does know. And I would err more towards liar. I would err more towards liar where he set up this company and this organization and he lives in San Francisco with the rest of them. He may not know what exactly they're doing, but it's not like as it was happening and he's an intelligent enough human being to see the the issues going on on his own platform. Like, I think the one person who should be on Twitter all day is the CEO, right? Yeah, he has to be reading everything that's going on to look and figure out that there's an issue. So I don't buy that he had nothing to do with this. Do you? I think I think I think you're I think you're 
are you're hitting something uh hitting the nail on the head i think the important thing though i think that an additional layer of missing context justin that that i think will help you is the politics that jack dorsey played to get the ceo position because he is a co-founder but he was he was kind of pushed out of the company for a while and then he like torpedoed and got back into the company torpedoed the then ceo um, and got back into the company. But then because of how he, the political machinations, how he used the board to get back into the CEO position, he was handcuffed. He could not fight this sort of woke, these, this sort of woke agenda. In other words, the way he got back and got back into the company, because he was completely out of the company, okay? They booted him out of the company. And the way he got back as CEO meant that he could not, he could not, he was powerless to oppose that woke sort of stuff. He just couldn't because he, it was those, it was those very woke people that put him as CEO. So he was, he, he, he had sort of the golden handcuff problem. So I'm not saying that you're, uh, so I'm not sort of that like Bob Chapek. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, Dorsey, Dorsey, you know, sort of fucked himself, um, by how he, how he, and you know, you could look at it and say it's a Machiavelli or nefarious, but that like he just used his, his political connections and his product vision and like what he wanted to do with the company. And, but then it was too late by then it was too late. And the people he had used to get back in CEO were this very same people pushing the ESG agenda and this uh, DNI and all this stuff. And you, he couldn't unring that bell, right? The culture had changed and the culture of the company, he would have to fight the board, the very board members that elected him and the very company culture to do it. He, he can't do it. He would have to do what Elon did, which is buy the company and fire the board. Do you see what I mean? Like that, what right. what Elon is doing is what Dorsey should have done, but but, but may not have had the uh, the ability to. Yeah, I don't think he had forty four. Yeah, I was going to say I don't think he had forty four billion dollars yeah. to do that. So I think but you're right. You're I think saying, you're right, but I'm just saying it's a little deeper than that, right? Well, that's why I asked because this leads into my next question, which is what you were saying about the word political, and this being the first actual censorship. And here's the problem I have, William. It's a class problem. And yes, I'm going to a classist argument. I don't think the argument is Marxist, but take it for what you will. I'm not trying to be actively Marxist. The political class, their entire goal is to be involved in government. Can we agree with that? Yeah. They want to be uh, behind the levers of power. Right. So even if... They are not actively in government at the moment. If they are asking a private company to censor things on their platform because it will help their campaign, isn't that in itself censorship? Because it's what you said. It's all about this idea of political shaping. This, William, just so you know, this story is the thing that has pushed me the closest to believing in the deep state than I have ever believed in my entire life. Yeah. Because the line is, I don't even want to say the line is blurried. The line is watercolored. The line is water. Like yeah. there is no line. <clears throat> if, yeah, if, you, you have a huge line. Like if you think like, I'm going to put my, uh, my former, uh, you know, former uh, NSA hat on. There's a huge difference between someone who's, who's, the the press officer and someone who's like doing the propaganda right and the problem is 
like when you see these emails, it's the same person trying to do both jobs, Justin. And that's what you're feeling, right? That's what you're feeling. You're saying, oh, the campaign manager is speaking on, for, on behalf of the candidate here, but then also mentioning in the same sentence about committee subcommittee members, right? And and it's like yeah, the, there there's the, you you are blurring this line, and no one cares like that. Like you can see like there the, like some of the some of the Democrat was, I don't know if it was a Democrat or Republican person they were talking to uh, in the email chain they were just talking about the Bill of Rights and the person at Twitter just totally misunderstands and, and and is talking about their internal like censorship you know the 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 terms of service they they didn't get it all they were speaking a different language right one was understanding hey this is about government power and the other one was, was completely saying oh no this is just a TOS issue right well that's because. They don't care about the Bill of Rights. They only care right. about the terms of service, right? And that's that's ultimately the issue that, that I'm trying to point out, William, and, and it's what you're saying about, like, it's all the same roles. It Look, I'm going to push what you said one step deeper. One step deeper of the whole, oh, they're mentioning the, the subcommittee members and everything. Not only are the people who are campaigning trying to get in office— the people who are in office are trying to control the campaigns because it helps them continue to stay in power. Yeah. The whole political machine is an entire class of political people. And I don't know how you properly set rules and laws so we know when it's censorship and when it isn't. When Biden's campaign certainly used the power of the office. And the power of the office certainly used Biden's campaign. How is that not censorship? Do you well, understand think, what I I'm think, saying? Yeah. The, the The issue is that the reason it's not is as far as I, we can tell still, it was not, it was not done. How do I say this? It was done voluntarily. There was no coercion as far as we can tell. I think that's the missing piece, Justin. If we were to I, see I understand coercion, that. there's there's but, a lot of things that could be threats, right? And this is why that's being what I'm saying. What, is a value here. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I've said this before on the show. We do not discuss enough in this culture psychological force. Yeah. We only define force as physical. We only define violence as physical. Now I know we're getting into, oh, now Justin's saying words, words of violence. violence. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. But blackmail is is force. Is that not psychological? Yeah. So if you have the power of government and you threaten people, how is that not force? Yep. Well, that gets back to a principle that we were talking about early, just, earlier, Justin, the separation of economics and state. The solution right. to these gray areas is to get the government out of economics because then right. we don't have this fucking mess that is Twitter and, and government collusion. Right. Right. We don't have this mess anymore because the government can't threaten them with uh, whatever they're going to threaten them with removing Section 230 or this, that and the other thing. Right. Right. They can't threaten them with that because the, the government doesn't have the power to that. Right. They can't, as Elon threatened Apple about the antitrust thing the same way DeSantis did. Yep. Right. He said, oh, you're going to take us out of the app store. Well, I'm going to file an antitrust case against you. Apple should be able to remove any app it wants from the app store. It should be. You shouldn't be able to wield the power of government for that. And you're exactly right, William. This is the same exact thing as the DeSantis story. Whereas DeSantis is acting like he's the champion for individual rights. 
the champion for natural rights and for capitalism, but he's not because he's using the same government force to do things to Disney with the tax code. It's literally the same exact story, just different manifestations. We've come full circle. The farce always does because it always comes back to we founded a country on the idea of government not controlling people and then government is now controlling people. All right. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think that I think that that coming full circle is really the point. All right. Let's move on and talk about some art then in the hopeful romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Just go to themidside.com and themidside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And in there, you will find a join code for our Discord. Join and send us stories. Participate in trailer takedown. Or give us what we want for Christmas. That sounded like a demand. But uh, what we would like for Christmas is for you to participate in the Midside Peak Farce Awards for 2022. Send in your nominations. Send in your vote for most farcical story of the year. We've got that episode coming up in a couple weeks. I'm going to start my review, William, by asking what I always ask. Do you remember the trailer for Violent Night? And if so, did you hug or tackle it? I believe I tackled it. That's very, very interesting that you tackled it. Maybe this is an issue of taste. Let me read my review. Despite pacing problems, Violent Night is a Christmas classic for the self-aware social media generation. And I'm giving this my second highest rating of a... uh, Oh, crap, my brain's farting. So the highest rating is uh, so bromantic. So yeah, this is a bromantic movie. This is a bromantic movie. And look, we can sit here and we can talk about all day about, you know, what Christmas should really be about. And I don't want to get into, like, an objectivist pissing match about, like, oh, the the altruistic messages of the modern Christmas movies and the modern Christmas narrative. There are elements of that. You know, the word selfish shows up at one point as a visual indicator that someone is a bad guy. I don't want to get into those little sort of coded nuances of objectivist virtue signaling, right? What matters is, is this is a story about a Santa Claus who is sort of losing his Christmas spirit. He's sort of done with it. He's over with it. And he gets stuck in a diehard scenario. And this is very much intentional. It's very much intentional. They're referencing diehard. There's also a Home Alone sequence later. So he's delivering presents at a house. And the house is locked down and he can't get away because his he's having trouble with his magic at the moment and his reindeer fly away and so they fly away so he is forced to decide if he wants to get involved or not and he doesn't want to get involved or not and he acts as a bruce willis action hero and he saves the day 
Uh, it's very enjoyable. It's very benevolent. It's the production value is high. The acting is quality and taken as sort of like a movie that blurs the line between horror comedy and action comedy. It's pretty much a strong entry in that genre. It's sort of like if you took the movie Santa's sleigh, you know, starring the evil, you know, Bill Goldberg as an evil version of Santa Claus uh, in a horror comedy and you cross it with Die Hard and Home Alone. That's what you would get for this. And it's immensely enjoyable. The only sort of knock I have against it, William, is uh, there's some slow periods in it. And I get it. They're trying to, like, build the tension and they actually pay attention to character and the characters have arcs. But that leads to the ending being very abrupt. And I thought they could have ended it better in the sense that the the bad guys are dispensed with and then everyone says bye to Santa and he flies away. And there was no other sort of ending to that. He's just sort of like, thank you for giving me my Christmas spirit back. So those minor quibbles aside, I enjoyed it immensely. My wife enjoyed it immensely. She just said that it was gory. So I think that there's a lot to like here. It's it's very sort of self-aware. You know, it makes a Deadpool, ref- not a Deadpool, it makes a Die Hard reference. It makes a... Home Alone reference, you know, it does the whole, you know, Santa at one point says Santa Claus is coming to town. It, it knows what it's doing. It knows what it is. And I enjoyed it and I'd, I'll probably watch it again. Any questions you have about the movie thoughts, William, from what I just said? I think it's just uh, probably down to the goriness. I think that I'd be worried about that, too. All right. Well, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts if you ever watch it. Well, I'll put it on the list. I think the only other Christmas movie on the list right now is the the one that's on Apple TV. Yeah. Oh, the uh, spirited one, or what is it called? Scrooged? Yeah, Scrooge, I think it's called, right? Yeah, with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Will 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 Ferrell. Ferrell. Yeah. Yeah, your concern about gore with Violent Night is my concern about Will Ferrell with that movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I share your concern, my friend. Okay. Well, those are movies that are out. Let's talk about movies that are going to be coming out with Trailer Takedown. I always put the trailers in Discord, usually the Saturday before we record. That way you have the option if you want to watch them all and then listen to us talk about them, listen to us talk about them and then watch them all, or alternate. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. You watch a trailer, we talk about it. Trailer Takedown. First trailer. That 90s show is the Netflix reboot of that 70s show, except... Instead of starring or being about, uh, now I can't remember his name, Eric, Eric and Donna, Eric Foreman, it's about Eric's daughter as he goes visits his dad, her grandfather, and hangs out there with some kids she meets in Wisconsin. Uh, My problem with this is it literally looks like they just tried to do the same exact show. Uh, Midsider Ed Joe said the same thing. Uh, he said, I watched that 70s show. It was fine. I don't have any interest in watching the same show, but in the nineties, if you're gonna make it be about a decade, part of why that 70s show worked is it was very much had the trappings of the decade. Whereas they tried to have those same trappings here of the seventies where they literally did the circle of them smoking marijuana. I understand that people have still smoked marijuana since the 70s, but it's not the same sort of cultural narrative about the things, and it's done differently. So as much as I like Red, 
right? He was my favorite character in the original show. And I never watched the original show religiously. It's just sort of like if it was on, I would kind of like leave it on for a little bit. But he was sort of my favorite character. This even just feels like a cheap imitation of him, even though it's the same actor. It just feels like they're trying to to do exactly what happened before, but it's just a, a pale, shallow imitation. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this could have been so, done so much more intelligently. I don't know. Like, nothing about that, nothing about the trailer looked like something from the 90s. I mean, Justin, we were alive then. Like, this this does not feel nostalgic in any way towards the 90s in the I way that's that... Th- William, since I'm getting older, that's the thing that's craziest to me is like all the decades, like even the 80s, right? The 80s has like a definitive way people look at it. But the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, none of them have any definitive thing that like is defined by the way people look at it. We kind of try and do grunge in the 90s or when kids dress up like 90s here, it's like 90s hip hop. But it's not like there's anything that people say, oh, this is the 90s that you can do a show based on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. But no, this looks boring. I didn't really like I didn't really ever watch that 70s show, so I don't know. Call me pretentious. I'll tackle this. Tackle. Second trailer. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is the third entry in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise for Marvel. Not really sure what else is going on or what is going on in this trailer. Uh it seems like every other Guardians of the Galaxy movies, which are some of the sort of least offensive Marvel movies, and I mean offensive in the sort of sense of artistically, you know, I've done a lot of thinking on James Gunn. I've done a lot of talking about James Gunn. Uh, I don't think he's as bad as the other Marvel creators, and this just sort of looks like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and I'm sure it'll be entertaining. You know, the first one was like a B. It just had the issue with We Are Groot, and the second one just had the issue with you know, heart overhead, but I just, I just think James Gunn is an emotionalist, and I think that's what this movie's going to be. It's going to be a funny, quirky action movie, science fiction. So I don't know. I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, Midsummer Ed Joe said he's not interested in any movies or shows for Marvel right now, but if I had to, I guess I would watch this one. But he's giving me a tackle. I kind of have the same perspective. I doubt there's going to be anything else out around that time. My wife's probably going to want to see it, so. I'll hug this. Hug? You know, watching this preview, it took me a second to even remember what happened in the second one, Justin. Um, I'm so disconnected from the Marvel Universe. I cannot tell you the last... I I, I don't think I've seen a single Phase 4 Marvel movie. Yeah, I don't think I have. Uh, So, I don't know. Is this enough to bring me back in? I, 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 I doubt it, man. The... The preview didn't look fun. It just looked very sort of, it it looked very sappy emotional, not fun. I don't know how to explain it. If this movie was supposed to be fun, I might have, it might have tempted me, but it looked, I don't know. It just looked, it looked like it's going to try to hit my feelings before hitting my funny bone. And that's kind of where James Gunn is now. That's what Peacemaker ended up as too. Yeah. I don't, I don't want that. And, and that's not enough to draw me back into Marvel. I'm sorry. It's just not. Tackle. Third trailer. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is the fifth Indiana Jones movie. Uh, You want to talk about not remembering what happened in the last Indiana Jones movie? Does anyone remember when they tried to make Shia LaBeouf a thing and then there were interdimensional aliens? Well, I actually have no idea what's going on in this trailer either. 
Uh, Mid Joe or Mid Joe Ed Joe. That's funny. Mid Cider Ed Joe Mid Joe. Um, Ed Joe says that this is old man yells at time travel. I didn't even get the sense that there was time travel in this trailer. So, oh, there's one thing that stuck out to me in this trailer. One thing, and it made me not want to see this movie. So obviously he's fighting Nazis in this movie, right? But then at one point he says, if there's one thing I've learned, it's not what you believe, it's how hard you believe it. Does that apply to Nazis? So if Nazis believe hard enough, it's good? How, how do you have a franchise that's literally built, like, especially nowadays, in the culture that everyone's like, fuck you, you're a Nazi, punch a Nazi, blah, 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 everyone's a Nazi. Nazis are the ultimate evil. How do you have a character who's literally built his legacy on fighting Nazis say, it's not what you believe, it's how hard you believe it. That's so contradictory. So if there's another trailer that actually shows this has time travel in it, maybe I'll watch it because I pretty much watch anything with time travel. But as it is, no, this just, it just looked all over the place. It didn't look like anything. It looked like pure spectacle without any sort of catharsis. Tackle. Tackle. Justin, my degree from FU says you are 100% correct. Here's the rumors about this movie, and I can connect them to things in the trailer. So the uh, the artifact they're looking at was a is a it looks very much like a supposed uh, Nazi time travel device. Okay, of course this movie has to have time travel because we have to. have... If you're a Nazi and you can time travel, do you go back in time to save baby Hitler? I don't know, but um, but so that so they're definitely making reference to time travel. They are they you know the the settings are like. Back in Nazi, there's young, de-aged indie, and um, but here's the uh, here's the uh, rumors. Now we're going to rumors uh, and and possible spoilers, I guess, uh, if we want to call it that. There's lockers in the barn, and Lori's pregnant. So they scrapbooked this movie. Um, there's multiple endings. At least four were shot. Uh, one of them, uh, Phoebe Waller Bridge, uh, uh, is saved by old indie who then pa- who then uh, passes her the hat in and whip, and then now uh, now now. Uh, now she has to go be the do all the things that Indiana Jones did in the first few movies. Movies, and they show her like CGI'd into you know Temple of Doom and and Glass Crusade and everything else. What? Yeah, but well, I don't understand one of the why. Why? Like, well, why? we're replacing Indiana Jones with Phoebe Waller's well, bridge. No, I get like I get that to, from to a... send her to a Disney Plus uh, show where she gets to relive all of Indy's adventures. So there's going to be a Disney Plus show where it's this just... This is already old. announced, yeah, with, with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, yeah, in the Indiana Jones universe. Right, right, now, right, right, right. that's one well, of the four hold, endings. No, 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 I have a question. All right. Is, is, the, is the series literally just her, like, the first season is like her, the Temple of Doom? Or the new know. adventures? I, I don't know. Okay. I don't... Because I understand, look, I get it. Making, like, we're going to, we want to pass the mantle on. Okay. I think that's why they tried to have Shia LaBeouf. Like, I think he was trying to be the new indie. But I get it. I get, like, making it a woman, right? I get it. Okay. Okay. I get it. Like, they tried to make the doctor a woman. Like, okay. I understand. I understand the logic there. But why do we need to have her in Temple of Doom? Why do we need to have her in Last Crusade? Well, because in that particular scrapbooked story, uh, and, and scrapbooking here for everyone is where they don't really have the plot set. They just make a bunch of scenes. And then at the end, they just toss to the editor and say, make a story. Um, so well, that, they just and they, get all the spectacles together, right? Well, you're nice to them. It's also because they're going to test market the different endings and see which of the four audiences like. 
before yep. they released the movie. Well, and the one I discussed, the, the, the Kathleen Kennedy apparently was heavily behind, but the audience hated the most. Wow! Yeah, oh because... my God! Kathleen Kennedy tried to push a female-centric ending, and <laughs> oh, nobody I didn't tell else. Spoiler! That's another spoiler. This is Kathleen Kennedy's baby. Wait. So Kathleen Kennedy tried to push a female-centric ending that erases the legacy of the original franchise, yes. and nobody liked it. Yes. Where have we nobody heard this story it. before? Uh, perhaps Star Wars. I'm look. I'm not even like an Indiana Jones and Star Wars fan, and this makes me mad. Yep. So, uh, we could, I could talk, endings? I could, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it, uh, for, for, uh, for discussion in Discord, cause I think it's a great discussion in Discord. Doomcock, the venerable, uh, uh, Overlord DVD channel on YouTube has been covering this extensively. And, uh, he, he covered this over a year ago about this scrapbooked ending and the testing. And now that this preview has come out and there's some other stories come out. His rumors have been proved, uh, uh, well, all but proved to be true. I don't know, uh, Justin, obviously the movie could be changed, right? And I think the, the schizophrenic preview that you're seeing, you're like, hey, this is all spectacle. No, no, uh, no catharsis. That's because the movie hasn't been put together yet. I, I've been, I've, I, I, like Doomcock's been saying, there's rumors that there's multiple versions of the fully completed, you know, you know, fully edited, I would say, uh, movie right now, and then, and then there's infighting about which edit, which, which edit to do because none of them are testing well. Didn't they see when Whedon did this to Justice League, it destroyed the movie? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, they, like there's really, I don't know that there's. And let's be honest, Harrison Ford's getting old. This is the last chance you have with Harrison Ford. So, I thought, I thought that, I thought the last one was going to be the last chance you got with Harrison Ford. But this is really it, you know. Yes, but. Even though this would be a wonderful train wreck, I am going to tackle it. Tackle. Final trailer. The mean one is a horror comedy parody of The Grinch, in which the mean one, who is obvious to send up of The Grinch, uh, kills people on Christmas. Here's the deal. We were just talking about, in the last trailer, a super high-budget movie that looks like it's going to be total trash. This is a super low-budget movie. The production value here does not look good. However, this is what you have when you have a perfect premise. This is exactly what a horror comedy should be, and the execution of it from a conceptual level is top tier. And because of that, this is exactly something I'll give a chance. And, you know, Midsetter Edjo also says it doesn't look good, but horror comedy is one of his favorite genres, so he'll give it a chance with the Netflix and Hug. For me, I think of all the low-budget horror movies in, like, the 80s and 90s that were good because they were good conceptually. I think about how horror movies can succeed with low budgets because it's all about the concept. And I think people have lost in movies that the magic comes from the concept as much as the magic, the practical magic trips, the practical effects. So I know this doesn't look high quality production wise, but conceptually, uh, I mean, look, I'm looking at the trailer right now and it says slashing through the snow as its tagline. I, I don't know. I just, this looks enjoyable to me. Hug. Mm, hug. This looks funny and entertaining. What can more, more, more can be said? I mean, yeah, the visuals like, yes, production quality looks low. But this looks fun, and uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to give it a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. I'm really uh, glad you agree with me on that, William. I was worried everyone was going to be like, what's wrong with Justin that he likes that? 
No, I think it's uh, you. The, you I right, you on. can see pa- because the of the execution. I think you can look past the fact that I mean this is probably a shoestring budget, but it there. I don't know. It, the preview was perfect. It was this perfect pre- preview for like you said, like more of what we saw in the eighties and nineties with horror and horror comedy in general. All right, that brings us to the end of this trip. What did we learn, William? I learned that we need more horror and Christmas movies. Justin, what did you learn this trip? I learned that we always need to remember that Kathleen Kennedy is the one who made it so that Galaxy's Edge was set on Batu and not the... What's the name of the classic Star Wars planet? Tatooine. With the cantina? Tatooine, yeah. yeah. Originally, Galaxy's Edge was going to be Tatooine, but she convinced the president of Parks and Experiences at that point to make a new legacy because wouldn't it be better to have a new place that people wanted to go and she's the one who convinced them not to have it be at Tatooine and don't tell me that that wasn't intentional and she isn't trying to destroy the legacy and the culture that came before and there are many many other people like Kathleen Kennedy out there all right I want to thank you all for listening if it wasn't for you this would just be me talking into the corner of my closet like a crazy person I mean it is that you just make me feel a little bit better about myself if you want to support the show you can go to midside.com store pick up some merch midside.com patreon midside.com locals patreon is per episode locals is per month you can also go to the discord and vote and nominate in the 2022 peak farce awards that's coming in a couple of episodes All of this is how we keep the lights on and how we grow the show is we tell a friend, especially a female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emblesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Go Blue! wonder if we're going to see this uh, an every year thing. More horror films come out for uh, Christmas. More nostalgic family films coming out for Halloween. Crazy reversal. Yeah, I think we'll also eventually see people try to do it for other genres as well. I mean, there was a joke in this movie where the girl finds out Santa's supposedly not real. And somebody says, don't tell her about the Easter Bunny. As these continue to be successful, <laughs> they will port it into other holidays. You get what I'm saying? Yep. I can't wait for MLK Day.